Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guest is Lassia Marla. Uh, she's the director of Fusion AI at LucidWorks. We're going to be talking about uh, AI and machine learning and uh, what LucidWorks does. So, Lassia, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, would you mind um, just giving listeners uh, tell them about Luc- uh, sorry, LucidWorks and uh, your work there? What do you guys do? Sure. So, LucidWorks is essentially a search technology company, um, and we use AI to help understand human intent. And so the goal, the main product that LucidWorks produces is called Fusion, and it's a, a platform to help you build really reactive and um, intuitive search experiences. And um, the AI piece is of, uh, my official title is Director of Products for Fusion AI. And so the AI piece of that is to essentially um, have our system understand the intent behind a user's query, and also have our system be able to enrich the data uh, that you provide to be searchable um, in order to kind of create a full complement and a virtuous cycle between those two elements. When you say user's queries, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of times people go through Google uh, for search, or they may go through Facebook or other channels. So when you say queries, does that mean queries on a website? you know, live chat, email, phone, that kind of thing? Or where, where does the query happen that you're uh, trying to enhance? Yeah, so searches through a website, things like e-commerce and retail, um, that's a big space that we're involved in. We also power a lot of customer sites like Reddit. Um, we also power a lot of internal search tools. So Uber's internal search tool and a few other companies. Uh, so essentially you can index any kind of data into Fusion and make that data searchable and highly available to any of your users. So be that on an e-commerce or retail website or, you know, your internal documentation or, you know, some other kind of document, like the kinds of documents that Reddit or government websites have. So what's an example? I mean, you know, I've searched sites and, I, you know, we usually do it by keyword and the results are pretty, uh, pretty lackluster. So what, what have you found to tweak and make better and how does it help people? Sure. Um, so you're right that a lot of sites can be pretty lackluster. And so essentially, there are a couple of strategies to dealing with lackluster search results. Um, And they fall into two realms. So the first realm is understanding your user's intent. And so a big reason that a lot of search sites don't do super well on certain queries is that um, it's unclear what the user is actually searching for. And so for example, let's say you're searching, you search for the word iPad on, you know, like Best Buy's website, for example. You could mean a, literally an iPad, but you could also be looking for iPad accessories. There are a number of different types of documents that include the word iPad. And so traditional search ex- approaches that just do kind of your basic text retrieval and ranking will probably actually produce iPad accessories higher up than actual iPads for the query iPad because the word iPad appears more commonly in the description. What we at LucidWorks strive to do is, one, understand 
the user's intent. So when somebody is searching for an iPad, it's more likely that they're actually looking for the tablet than they're looking for the accessory because they've not provided certain modifier terms. And so we include a suite of algorithms to help you make that determination. And we include some automatic aggregations that will look at what previous users have clicked on and use that to inform the search results that your current user is actually seeing. The uh, second, okay. yeah, and so that's kind of one half of it is understanding your user's intent and making sure that the data that you provide is exactly what your user is looking for. The other half of it is actually um, making sure that your data is as rich as possible. So iPad is a pretty specific query, but very often you'll get people searching for something much more broad. So something like GIF, right, which is a very broad search term, something that has a lot of potential to, you know, surface an entire corpus of data. And so what you want to do is you want to know, one, what your particular user that you're interacting with has interacted with in the past um, and use that to kind of surface recommendations for them to recommend gifts that they might actually be interested in. You also want to take temporality into account. So let's say like Father's Day or Mother's Day is coming up. Maybe you want to surface gifts that are related to that. And you also want to look at your corpus of data and use machine learning algorithms to enhance that data to understand what kinds of documents are better suited as GIFs and what kinds of documents are not so well suited as GIFs. So for example, you wouldn't, probably wouldn't want to give somebody like Drano as a GIFT, right? And so that's something that our machine learning algorithms can go through your corpus, um, understand, combine, combine the data that you have in your corpus with your user's intent and place your data into certain subcategories so that you're surfacing for queries like gifts, things that actually make sense, if that if that answers your question. Well, I mean, I search a lot, and, and I have a tendency to break things. What I've noticed is uh, I'm afraid to search too specifically because it doesn't work. The, the engines I've used can't handle it. I mean, the one yeah. I found that is best is Google, and they'll show you, did you mean this, did you mean that, if you do typos or if you did something too generic, or it tries to associate something. But on websites, sure. I mean, it, just to be frank, it's just my experience has been this complete junk. I've been on the web for you know, 20 years. So I think what may, I don't know, I mean, people get trained. Maybe they're trained and they're putting in these generic queries because specific ones are like literally rejected by the system or produce nothing. I mean, even Amazon is terrible. If you have a misspelling, it just shows you nothing. Yeah, so I can see told. that you would do well to incorporate some of the good stuff. You know, let's say Google may do or Amazon may do. People that search for this also search for that, but I think that may be why that people just, like I said, they get battered back and forth and, and searches don't work for them. That's just my experience. Yeah, no, you're totally right. A lot of websites and a lot of search administrators don't know how to handle that problem of what we call them in the industry as tail queries, so essentially queries that don't appear very often because they are very specific. So something like um, outdoor rock speaker, for example, is a tail query that is very specific and means that the person is looking for a very specific item. And so in theory, a human being would be able to parse that query and say, okay, I want a speaker that looks like a rock, but a machine will look at that query and say, I've never seen this query before and it doesn't match very well with any of the wording in my document. I don't know how to handle it. And so we at LisaWorks actually offer a whole suite of algorithms to help you deal with problems like that to help you find common mis 
misspellings that your users are making and correct them to help you anticipate those kinds of misspellings, to help you correlate tail queries with head queries and make sure that your zero result queries are actually not zero result queries anymore. And so there are a number of different um, algorithmic strategies to deal with that. But you're, but you're exactly right. Like that's something a lot of search administrators don't think about. Um, and so we do have a number of algorithms to help our users deal with that kind of thing. Well, okay. So I would guess, and again, it's just speculation. I mean, I've seen that AI is good at very narrow tasks. And for something like this, it seems like you'd probably have to string together multiple different AIs or multiple neural networks or whatever you'd use to handle different aspects of helping a search. For instance, like searchers that search for X also search for Y and Z. To me, that yeah. sounds like one. And then another one is that uh, misspellings maybe would be another engine. And then uh, synonyms might be another engine. Is that how you yeah. guys have to do it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So there, you're totally right. Search experiences are no longer about, you know, you're a little box with a magnifying glass doing basic text retrieval, right? People want complete search experiences. They want recommendations. They want the engine to be able to understand their intent. They want it to automatically surface misspellings and did you mean modules and things like that. And so one of the great things that Luciverse AI can do is essentially based on the data that you have, we have a whole host of algorithms um, and a whole host of models that you can choose from yourself uh, and deploy with a single button push, basically, that will kind of start calculating and aggregating data on the back end to generate these modules on the front end. And then Lucidworks, um, we have a, a whole other suite of products known as App Studio that helps you generate the visualizations for these AI elements that you've created in the back end. So these like off. So you say you created. Is it off the shelf that people? You have a store of AI apps and people pick them off the shelf and use them for their application, or do they have to uh, train them specifically on their websites? I mean, what's what's the what's your user experience like? How does it work? Sure. So there's a number of different strategies. Um, the way that the platform is organized is basically. The majority of our AI um, algorithms and models are saved or trained as Spark jobs. And so what we have is a place where you can run some of our bespoke um, jobs over your data to train a particular model or to enrich your data in some way or to train a query intent classifier, for example, and then use that modified data in a query pipeline that um, you can construct within the platform as well, and then construct the front end for that associated query pipeline using App Studio. So for a particular application, how do I know what to use? Let's say I have an e-commerce site and I sell, I don't know, toys, you know, take it over for Toys R Us, they're gone. Um, what modules would you suggest and how do I know what modules? Do I just look and pick them out or do you have like an expert engine or a live person that helps figure it out? Yeah. So as of right now, we have uh, most of our engagements include a consultative portion where we recommend that you do X, Y, and Z to your data or you include X, Y, and Z AI features to help improve your relevancy right off the bat. Um, that being said, my kind of dream for Fusion AI in the future is to have exactly what you described, which is an expert engine that based on your data generates the, recommend, the recommended AI modules that you should be using in your system um, to maximize the possible relevance. So what are, 
again, for e-commerce, you know, if I have an e-commerce site, what would you recommend for me? Let's say, again, I sell toys and, you know, I have like I sure. 100 different toys, some for girls, some for boys, some for older teens, some for little kids. Like, what's just, you know, and I know I'm putting it on the spot, but yeah, no, generically, um, what would you recommend? Yeah, I think that's great. So e-commerce is a really great space to use our headtail algorithm because e-commerce sees a lot of tail queries that can be easily corrected by association with the head query. And so the way that that particular algorithm works is it goes through your search logs, finds exactly what you were describing before, so uncommon or specific queries, and tells you how to rewrite them in order to make them better, in order to give you better search results, essentially. And so that is the number one thing that I would, that is one of the things that I would recommend, rather. I also recommend training um, what we call a query intent classifier. And essentially what that does is it helps your, it takes in the incoming query and it uses your uh, taxonomy under the hood and grabs a number of incoming queries and figures out what taxonomy that they most strongly correlate with. And in that way, you're able to kind of, for a particular query. So let's say you are selling like toys and you had a section for girls' toys, a section for boys' toys, and a section sections based on age, for example. Your query intent classifier could take in an incoming query for, let's say, like action figures. And I know that this total stereotype, but maybe you, your classifier recognizes that action figures are more geared towards, you know, boys of a certain age range. It can automatically apply boost for boys of that particular age range when it sees a query come in for an action figure. And in that way, improve relevance and add an element of personalization based on the query. A couple other things I would recommend mm. to implement is um, any e-commerce website, people like to see an Amazon-like experience nowadays. They like to see modules that are like more like this. They like to see recommended items for you. And so we have a whole suite of recommendation algorithms that you can use to generate those modules to generate, um, you know, a landing page for when you know who your user is that says, here are all the items that we recommend for you based on your previous browsing patterns. You have another algorithm that you can run that every time you execute a query and you click on a document, it shows you other documents that are similar. So let's say you click on, you know, like a Hulk toy, it'll show you other Avengers toys, for example. And so that's another thing that I recommend. So just kind of off the top of my head, I would say that those are probably your best bets in the e-commerce space to get started. And then depending on your particular infrastructure, there are certainly more things that we could recommend. So these are recommendations, but the e-commerce owner still has to go do them. So what about the doing? I mean, if you, I'm sorry? you know, I could see, you know, these are recommendations. Like, you know, let's say I sell toys and you tell me, hey, action figures, you should put this and that and these related products and everything. Does the AI do it for you or does the store owner have to go do this and, have his programmers take his SKUs and relate them and change how the site functions in order for this to work? Or can you just overlay oh. it and the site still works? Yeah, so you can still, you can just overlay it. So essentially the process of migrating an e-commerce site into our platform would be that you give us your data, right? So you send, you index your product catalog and you index all of the signal data that you have, which is basically all of your user interactions. Then you push a few buttons, right? So let's say that um, I was your data engineer for this product project and I recommended those four algorithms to you, the head tail analysis algorithm, the query intent classifier, a, recommendation, a personalization module and a recommendations module. 
I would give you that recommendation and then you would go to the um, AI job screen and run those four jobs basically um, and get the resulting pipeline. So whenever you run a job, it'll give you a pipeline to actually use the results of that job. So you run those four jobs, you get the resulting API endpoints and you take your front end site and you point it at those API endpoints and then you're done. So there is a little bit of like work that needs to be done by um, your search developer. But the key thing that we're trying to accomplish with Fusion AI is to make sure the search developer doesn't need to know necessarily anything about the algorithm that's happening underneath the hood, right? They don't need to do any tuning themselves. They just need to click a button they need to decide, you know, what algorithms do I want to use or what what is the best thing for my environment currently, but that's something we eventually want to move away from. Um, and once they've decided that, push a few buttons, review the results, and then point their front-end website directly at those API endpoints that were automatically created for them. What about um, if Google is a huge uh, contributor to a website, Google search, can you somehow take the incoming search queries through like Google Analytics and use those and use your yep. machine learning to figure out what's going on there? Yeah. So we just recently launched a product called Insights um, that essentially does exactly that. It grabs um, search queries coming in from anywhere. So if you have search queries coming in from Google, if you have your own search queries that you're logging in some other way, you can grab all of that information, put it inside of our platform, and then what Insights does is it runs some aggregations and generates some visualizations for you based off of those um, signals. And so in that way, you can surface potential problems. It'll show you um, what kind of issues you might be seeing in your environment, which users are the most active, which users are the least active. And you as an analyst can look at that and say, okay, I see X, Y, and Z problem, and now I can go back into the platform and fix those problems, regardless of what the source of that signal is. Can you see behavior? You know, uh, I get Google searches for, you know, again, my toy website. But let's say, how about a B2B example? Does, first of all, does this work for B2B? Let's say, um, you know, I get arrested for like a DUI. I'm looking for a DUI lawyer. And, uh, you know, one of them is your client, and they see, like, people that search for, uh, you know, I don't know, second or third DUI tend to be a certain kind of client, and people that search for first time tend to be another kind. Can you take Google search queries and, and tell them, all right, well, the behavior of these two people is different. This is what's happening on the site. This is how you should restructure it to capture the business, or is it yeah. not really work in that kind of arena? Yeah, definitely. So we have a number of algorithms, um, two come to mind immediately, that essentially do just that. They group, they take the documents in your corpus. Um, so in the case that you described, you probably have documents detailing, you know, case histories or something along the lines of that, that describe, you know, what kind of client um, is incoming and what kind of, what their session history might be, right? So the system itself will record all of that information and then use that information to draw precisely the kinds of conclusions you're doing. And in that way, place the documents and the users to your system into these kinds of buckets that you can then use to draw conclusions yourself. And so the way that the um, algorithm that I would probably use for the use case that you just described works is it uh, takes a look at the user interactions, takes a look at the documents that you have, um, correlate, does some correlational work between the documents to see which documents have similar, you know, text, and does some uh, additional correlational work to pull in the user um, 
action information and place the documents and the users into essentially clusters. Then what it'll do is it'll grab the clusters and look for overview text in that cluster. So what kind of text is most representative of that cluster? So for example, let's say you, know, you categorize a certain type of DUI as DUI1 and a certain type of DUI as DUI2. I mean, I don't know too much about it, so I don't know if that's a logical comparison. But um, essentially what the algorithm will do is it'll say, okay, if all of if all of the documents in this particular cluster have this kind of field tag of DUI1, it makes sense to label this cluster, you know, cluster DUI1 and so on and so forth for all of the documents in your corpus. Then it'll present that to you and you can then use that data and say, Either I want to train an intent classifier on this, and that would essentially be another algorithm to string onto this um, to say, okay, depending on the incoming query, which cluster should this query belong most strongly to? Or it, you can visually respond to that by you know, providing that data with, to an analyst and saying, okay, here is an incoming person, um, which cluster do they belong to, and essentially have the person do the work. So we have both methods available to you. If you would rather, if you, what we find is often people want to have a person in that intermediate role because they don't want the system to automatically put somebody in, um, you know, an incorrect group, specifically in medicine. This is something that we see a lot. But the ability to be able to automatically generate those groups is very powerful. Yeah, okay. What, um, what, so where, where do you, um, we talked about e-commerce, we talked about some B2B, what situations wouldn't this work? Um, wouldn't what specifically work? You know, wouldn't this query refinement and understanding work, or where have you found it hard for it to work? I just want you know, I want to give people an understanding of where it works and where it might be difficult. Sure. Um, so I will say that the majority of our approaches are very signal based, which means if you don't have a lot of information about how your users are interacting with your system, the algorithms that we have for you uh, will. There are still a number of algorithms that we make available, but they're not as complete. And so in cases where you don't have any interaction data, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to build a really reactive and functioning search system just off of the pieces of data that contain text. And so I would say that we do not handle that case very well. Um, and I honestly don't know of, of a search system that can handle that case very well uh, without any interaction data. Um, other than that, we pretty much offer solutions for provided you have, you know, some kind of data and some kind of user interaction, we can make Fusion AI work for you. Um, and so I don't, I don't know of another case where we've really, it's, it's really, you know, failed um, off the top of my head. But I will well, I'm not looking for failures. I'm just looking for you know what what would make it difficult. Like what if you're a, what if you're yeah, just low well, volume? If you don't have thousands of customers or you don't get tons of searches to your site. Sure, that is a really good. Uh, don't have if you don't like I said before if you don't have much interaction data. So that includes things like searches or users. Um, it's difficult to kind of create these AI experiences. I will say in the case that you don't have much, there are still things that can be done. Um, we do have data expansion algorithms and things like that to kind of extrapolate might, what your site might, what interactions you might get based off of, you know, a normal distribution. Um, and in that way, can shore up some data quality issues. 
But again, to hear a approximation, so that might not be, you know, the best kinds of results um, or the most accurate types of results for your search system since it's not actually real interaction. Do you have any, um, any metrics or ballparks on, again, how much data is needed, how long it takes to train, that kind of thing? Sure. So um, in terms of how long it takes to train, that is determined on a job-by-job -job basis and depending on how many nodes you make available to us. Uh, the more nodes, the faster we can go, um, and the more data, the better. That's kind of a general rule. Um, as far as heuristics for, you know, how much data should you provide, uh, how much interaction data should you provide, again, that's determined um, on an algorithm-by-algorithm algorithm basis, but I will say the, the more data, the better, and um, if you don't have very many, like, documents in your corpus, then, you know, as expected, you probably don't need as action to get a good model built. Um, the more documents you have, the more interaction you have you want because you want every single document to be seen or at least correlated to once. Right, makes sense. Okay. And is this accessible for smaller businesses or is it more enterprise large large businesses that we use this? Um, honestly, we have customers across the board. Uh, there are different challenges depending on whether you're a small business or a big business. Small businesses, the biggest challenge to using Fusion AI is exactly that we were talking about, that they typically don't have as much interaction, and so they can't get as much value out of the AI, but we have found ways to mitigate that. Uh, big businesses, conversely, you get into, you can get into overfitting of models and things like that. You can run into spaces where our models um, are, perform really well on a niche of your taxonomy, but are leaving out a swath of your taxonomy, and so it helps to get eyes on it. And big businesses tend to have more um, human-curated requirements, so things that, you know, your CEO or your CFO wants to see in your search results at the top that maybe our algorithms have determined are not the best, but they need to be there for some reason or another. And so we do have ways to accommodate that, but there is a little bit more complexity built in there. Just a couple more questions. Tell me about some of the surprises you've had. Yeah, you look, probably looked at accounts and you thought, that's weird. I didn't realize that's correlated or, huh. You know, surprises from customers or you yourself that have come out of this experience? Sure. Um, so I think some of the big surprises that I've had is I um, coming, so my background is that I came from data engineering into more of a, a directorship role. And so um, Coming from the engineering side, I kind of automatically figured everybody would have user interaction data, and so a lot of my algorithms and stuff, the pre that one would have user interaction data. And then moving into a role where um, I'm interfacing with customers more, it is pretty surprising to me how little interaction data a lot of people have, um, and how much even just turning on the basic signals. We, we call interaction data signals in Fusion, and we have, again, push-button solution Infusion AI to start collecting and aggregating your signals. And I've seen, you know, literally our push button, naive solution, no algorithms required, no additional AI required, take people to like 50 to 60% uplift in CTR, um, wow. which is insane, right? It's, it's ridiculous. And so it's amazing to me, like, what a difference that that can have. Just recording that, you know, that um, user interaction data and then it's also amazing to me how few of our customers even think to do it before we recommend that they do it. And then it's also amazing to me what mm. kind of uplift you can see once you actually have it going. 
Um, in terms of correlation, you always run into weird stuff. I've seen customers, uh, specifically like sporting goods stores, I always see weird correlations between um, different categories or taxonomies that I would never expect to be correlated, like camping goods and like mountain gear, which if you think about it, you know, as a human being, it makes sense. I can rationalize. But before I saw the correlation in the engine, I was like, I would never put those two you know, close together in facet order or boost similar documents to those two. And maybe that's just because I never camped. But like, um, yeah. it's always weird correlated categories um, that I wouldn't expect. Well, there's the famous example of beer and diapers, you know, from. Yeah, uh, that's a big one. <laughs> I've seen that one before. That figured out years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. So what's, what's the best way for, uh, you know, companies and people to get in touch with you and to find out? Sounds like you know, everyone could use the help and it may benefit tremendously. So how do they get in touch? What's the best way? Yeah, I mean, the Luciverse website uh, is a great resource. If you want to see more features of our AI, the Luciverse website has a really comprehensive rundown of all of the AI algorithms that we offer and how you can go about deploying them. Um, and so that's also just a great place to explore. And that's just www.lucidworks.com. Um, the website has a place where you can download Fusion and play around with it and try the platform if you like it, see if I can you know, solve your search solutions. And um, yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to get started. That's great. Last year, this is really interesting, and I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I had fun. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.